Hello and welcome to the Nutmeg Podcast, a version of the Scottish football magazine for your ears. I'm Daniel Gray and this is the Player Takeover. In this series, I'm joined by a number of footballers and football types to discuss what matters to them in an honest and open Nutmeg fashion. This time, Clyde centre-half Peter Grant has brought along his brother and teammate Raymond and their dad, also Peter, the former Celtic player and coach at Norwich and West Ham, among others. The Nutmeg podcast is sponsored by Orion, Scotland's sports performance centre. Deepest thanks to them and to our Patreon supporters. Have a look at patreon.com slash nutmegfc and get behind us in exchange for goodies from just three quid a month. The newest issue of our print magazine, number 25, is out now and is a corker. See nutmegmagazine.co.uk to get yours. As we sit here now, lads, it's been a week of incredible atmospheres. Middlesbrough v Sunderland being the best of them, of course. But last night, Celtic Real Madrid sounded pretty incredible on the radio. So I was wondering from each of you, what's the best atmosphere you've played in? Peter Senior first. I think, obviously, Celtic Rangers matches is always the atmosphere that people talk about. I think we sort of get wrapped up in it to think, no, people talk about it being the best derby match in world football. I can't say anything about that because I've never been to Argentina or anything like that, so I, or Spain, any of the big Spanish games. But when you hear like Sir Graham Souness and, God rest him, Ray Wilkins talk about the atmosphere at a Celtic Rangers match is the biggest they've been involved in, considering they've been in Milan derbies and whatever. You've got to take that into perspective and say, well, is it one of the best? And there's no doubt the intensity that goes along with it, you know, is probably... The European nights are something special, as you talk about last night, but I think the Celtic Rangers game, because of the intensity, the expectation, and for that one 90 minutes, it's probably the only game that the fans are not caring how you play, but as long as you win. you know. But the, I think the build-up and then the crescendo just hits you as you walk onto the pitch for that uh, 90 minutes. It's something different, that's for sure. I always wonder how it feels for you and how it looks for you, because there's times when I've felt dizzy with it all, certain games when it's almost as if the ground's shaking and how you refocus and does the crowd become a blur? Do you see individual faces, that kind of thing? It's quite interesting because my debut sort of was against Rangers. So I'm playing at Ibrox at that particular time. So I went out there and I must admit, because I never knew I was playing to, I think two hours prior to kickoff. So I was more nervous than I've ever been in my life, you know, because I never expected this. So I went out there and that was a blur. I mean, it was incredible, obviously the biggest atmosphere I'd ever played in uh, at that particular time. And it was, but it was surreal because once the game started, it was just like a humming noise. That was all, it was only when the ball went out of play, you could hear anything, you could hear all the songs when the ball went out of play, or there was a breaking play through injury. But for by that, you know, all you just hear is the humming noise. And I think it's like everything else you do in life. If you're focused on a particular job, at doing something, Everything else goes by you at that moment in time, no matter what the noise is on, whether it's a television, whether it's a, whatever you're watching, it seems to go by if you're focused on something. And I think that's very similar if you spoke to any player at any atmosphere. It seems to just drown out while the game is actually going on. The nerves in that, when they, obviously, in the build-up. That's why I hate warm-ups, because I hated that was the worst part of playing football was the warm-up. I just wanted the game to get started. And I think that's the exact same when you're playing. The noise is fantastic when you go. It's deafening in that respect, but... 
once the game's starting, as I say, it's more of a, a buzzing noise than anything else, you know. So that's probably a good thing because I wouldn't like to hear all the yeah. criticism that comes along with it. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. So I wonder, I always wonder as well what players feel like if they hear if they hear their chant. Also, the jealousies because only three have got their own, the other eight have my chant. The worst thing. A modern trend is if if it fits a good tune, a player gets a chant before he's even kicked a ball, and there's a midfielder that's been there seven years, and he's like, right, "Where's my chant?" Uh, you don't you don't want to hear Remy's chant at Clyde uh, anyway, uh, that's uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Raymond? That same question about atmosphere. Uh, to be fair, Dan, like I've been lucky enough when I was at Clyde, played Celtic in the Scottish Cup at home, and obviously you know what both both teams in that take to the away game so that was obviously really good and then we played Ibrox when I was at Stirling last year so we played at Ibrox and a lot of boys in the team like asked their team as well so they were obviously buzzing for it and the atmosphere was incredible obviously uh, Van Bronckhorst that was one of his uh, first games as well so that was all brilliant but I think just purely because it was my first time of being playing in an actual atmosphere when I was at Norwich we were lucky enough that we used to play at Carroll Road for uh, the majority of our home games for the reserves and we played Tottenham and it was at the period where they were showing them on BT Sport so obviously with the game being on telly you're not really thinking you're thinking more about that than you are oh the crowd we're going to get because people will stay in and you're like oh I wonder who's going to watch it we turned up and there was 15,000 at the game and I've gone from playing at a training ground you know every Monday and it's like the wind's blowing you can hear the wind more than you can hear the manager sort of thing. so it was that I think because it was my first actual experience like Obviously, I've been to watch Pete, being up at Falkirk, uh, playing in atmospheres and that. And I think it was maybe the season after his cup final. So, like, it was stuff like that where I'd never experienced anywhere near it. And then to all of a sudden go from playing at a training ground to 15,000. But obviously, it wasn't like an atmosphere where it was intense because they just want you to do well. When it's like the academy, they're just so enthusiastic. You could have the worst game ever, they're still applauding you. Like, it's totally different. But I think just because that was my first actual taste, it's one that always sticks with me. And Norwich is such like a family club like that anyway, that the year before they got to the Youth Cup final, so that was the boys I was playing with, but they were like a year and two older than me, and they sold it out. And then they took something like 8,000 at Stamford Bridge for the second leg. So they've always been quite well known to support the academy and that, so that was brilliant. So yeah, probably I'd probably say that game at home at Tottenham. Give you a false sense of security, getting full full backing. Yeah, well, that's what I was, I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, it can't be that. But I knew even, even when you played poorly, they're still supportive and that. And then you go a game and you're playing in front of 250 people and you have one bad pass. And you're like, oh no, get me off this pitch. Does it? Or did it that time, that occasion, or does it in general change? Not now you've played a lot of games, but do you think it changed your performance a bit? The, the 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 rush of it all more nerves maybe or, or more wanting to show off or... I, to be, I felt that game that game I probably felt that's probably most nervous I've felt playing a football match um, I'd probably say that was even more nerve wracking than my debut for Norwich when I came on like at Southampton I'd probably say that 23's game was the most nervous I've ever been and it wasn't even nervous like I was in the change room before because as I said like you didn't know how many people were going to be there so it wasn't because you were on telly because you used to play on like MUTV and stuff because they used to show their reserve games against us, whatever. So I was never like nerve wracking being on the television. But then you're going out to warm up, and there's already like five, ten thousand people in the warm up, and you're thinking, this could be like a decent crowd. And you walk out, and it's 15,000, and you're like, I'm a little bit nervous. Like all of a sudden, like I was thinking, if I knew it was going to be like that, I don't know if I'd have been better or worse. Yeah. But, and then as I said, like now, obviously played like 
I rocks and I, I just look forward to it because, like, no disrespect, but you go from at Clyde, where you're never going to play, and that atmosphere in the league, you're not going to be nowhere near it. So it's more right. I'm just going to enjoy it. Whereas before, if I was younger, I'd probably been like, oh, like thinking about it. Oh, I need to do well. I need to play well. I need to show I can handle the occasion. Whereas now, if you're going to play, forget Rangers or Celtic this season, we're going Celtic Park or Ibrox. It's more you just, I'm absolutely buzzing. Like, I can't wait because it's something different yeah. that I'm used to. So, mm-hmm. now I'd, I'd say it's probably gets a lot, it got a little bit easier for me, obviously. I haven't played in Celtic Rangers games. I haven't played in big derby atmosphere was loads of pressures. Like, when we go to play Celtic and Rangers, it's more you just want to make a good account of yourself because no one expects anything. Whereas I can imagine the expectation can add to the nerves as well as the atmosphere. And how about you? To be fair, Dan, I've been lucky to play in a few good atmospheres and obviously at Falkirk when we had the Fife Derby and that I felt that got that was probably underrated, I felt, by the players and that with the atmosphere and that I always felt, especially East End, you know, it, it could be get quite toxic to be fair, like after the game and all. I mean it was a couple of instances in that were a couple of players going off the the pitching that down the tunnel and that the supporters getting over the barriers and stuff like that and enjoying the game and stuff and you feel that was quite a good atmosphere to play in it was because it's quite tight you know as well like at the sides and that with the the bottom right corner and that as well experienced time castle a few times as well that's quite hostile as well because there again it's a tight pitch it's enclosed that was brilliant uh ibrox a few times probably predominantly when we played we always kind of played at least when they were in the league on poppy day at, at ibrox and that was fantastic to be fair you know they had obviously the obviously the, the pre-match kind of stuff for, for them and that, you know, with the, the gunshots and that coming off and that kind of set it alight and, you know, playing in this, like, you know, like this, you know, this, the smoke flare kind of atmosphere and that when you're going out the tunnel and stuff like that and I thought that was excellent. And then obviously the, the cup final probably won just just because of the occasion and that as well but I thought the Falkirk support that day, along with Inverness to be fair, you know, because it was a lot for them to come down even, you know, from there and that but I thought the Falkirk support that day um for the cup final was was brilliant you know really really was good we filled half of it to be fair you know that day that was excellent but I think just probably pitching is probably one particular day when we played at Ibrox on that poppy day and I thought the whole atmosphere I think that might have been my first or second time at Ibrox playing when they were in the league and it was yeah phenomenal and that and I you know obviously walking out and all that and you're just like you know I mean you Obviously, your dad and that talking about the times when they played, which was just a, another light year again, atmosphere wise, when obviously they played each other. But that particular day when we went out and that, I think you can even see go out the tunnel with a couple of boys and that in front of us and that, we just kind of looked around, you just see them smiling and that, you know what I mean? Because again, it was just, it, Remy said and that as well, it was, you get that extra nervous energy, but that ups your game automatically anyway, because of course you want to do well and listen, you want to get the result in that as well, no matter who you play. but that automatically took your game up as well, you know, because you're playing against, you know, good, good players at the time and that as well and that extra edge that you've got and that, you were constantly on the ball and that as well and you could hear the atmosphere, feel it and that as well but you could still concentrate in the game but it was, it was, it, it just gave you that extra adrenaline and the buzz and it just, you wanted to do so well in it and that because you were thinking, this is, these are the days that you, you know, when you're a wee boy and that, you think, oh, they're the atmospheres that you want to go and really show and that, you know what I mean? So, um, any time you were playing there and that on that particular day was outstanding, I Brilliant. I can tell you're a centre-half because of the way you relish it and <laughs> the way you talk about people coming on the pitch and how it was magic. I think it, goes, it must be other positions on the pitch where they don't, like a wispy winger doesn't love it as much as a centre-half. <laughs> no, no, it's, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it, it was brilliant because I think, I think for the, like Remy was saying there, even when it was his first taste and that, like he said, 
because you're obviously younger than me and experience the tr- you know you go for experiencing it. I never because the 23s and that weren't really about when I was at, at my time and that really it was more just kind of going for the 18s and then there was never really that kind of gap before the first team obviously Remy experienced that when they had the changeover in the academies and stuff but obviously Remy got that taste when he'd come up to see me at Falkirk to see like he was mentioning about the different atmospheres and obviously when we used to go and watch dad obviously when the coaching and stuff like that when he was in the Premier League and stuff and you thought that's atmospheres that but then when you end up getting that first taste of it like you said there even at a 23s game when you get that 10 to 15,000 and you're a young boy at what 18 at the time he was for them boys there fantastic that's that's a good grounding for them to think well when they do get the opportunity like he come on at Southampton there to get a first team experience in that it is brilliant for them boys in that as well and it does give you that wee bit of taste to think oh I want more I want more than that and it gives you that edge in that and then when you do get it and then like you said he's played obviously experienced Ibrox experienced Celtic at home you know, so you get the home crowd, but then you get the away crowd. That Celtic bringing the film nearly the full stadium. Of course, they do wherever they go. You know, what I mean, it is magic. Like, it is that's the way you describe it. Is it's fantastic when you go on the pitch, and it automatically gives you that wee boost, extra 15 percent without question. If you get a good atmosphere, it does without question lift you and give you that that edge, and that is that is a great feeling. Yeah. You know. I want you to each answer from both sides of the touchline. Do players ignore coaches' instructions on purpose and blame it on the atmosphere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably like to think so. Um, no, well, things have changed obviously over the years, haven't they? You know, because we'd have never looked off to the side. You know, when we played, you know, usually the captain, but predominantly, I think players knew their role within the team. You know. You never looked off to the manager. The manager, okay, they'd be shouting whatever, but you, you were always acknowledging the manager because you knew what the manager expected from you. And he was busy, like, he's busy lighting his fag anyhow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably at the times, yes, absolutely. Effing <laughs> and blinding at you. So it wasn't anything <laughs> tactical or technical. You know, just tell you you've only doing well enough, that's when you he was shouting. Uh, but you used to just acknowledge your manager, put your hand up or whatever, you know, as if to yeah. say, I hear you. I don't know what you're saying, but I hear you. <laughs> you know, and I think you get to a stage, you think, well, it's a waste of time shouting to them anyway, especially the atmosphere you're in. And that's something you have to be careful of when you go down the levels, you know, as a manager, because you're still the same guy on the side of the pitch, but there may be nobody, there's obviously not as many people there, you know, and everything you say, Everybody can hear you, you know, the, so you have to be very, very careful. But as a player, I was never one for looking off uh, the pitch. I think that's changed a little bit now. People go on with bits of paper. I don't think I've ever done that in my career. And if somebody handed me a bit of paper, I ain't going to tore it up. You know what I mean? So I'd be a bit embarrassed or whatever, you know, if I don't know my job before, I'm going to definitely not know it now, you know, because I can't read, <laughs> you know. But um, for sure, you know, it's definitely different now. Um, I think players want to be guided with a joystick. I think that's sometimes a problem. And that's fine. I always think within a shape, all during the week you're doing your shaping and then your organisation and you're talking about the players, what their expectation is and you train a certain way because that's the way your team is. Then you'll talk about certain aspects and you're going to, as I say, just your shaping day or whatever. And you're going to that, you're going through the players. Predominantly it doesn't change that much. So you're expecting the players to know it, which sometimes can be the wrong thing because you've fooled yourself into that because the players always want to be told, but you never told me that. Whereas I think years and years gone past, I think it was slightly different. 
you'd more of an opportunity that if you've seen something you could change on the football pitch. It's like now you do set plays, as we all do as coaches, you do set plays, you write them up. Peter, you're with him, Raymond, you're with him, da 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 da. And our day, the biggest pick's the biggest up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, but that was the way it was. Yeah. I never seen a set play. When I played as especially up here before I moved to England. I don't think I've ever seen a set play wrote up. We'd done set plays on a Friday or whatever, but I never ever seen one wrote up because we didn't know who the opposition team was going to be, especially in Europe. You never knew who the centre halves or that, who, who was the biggest, you know, even though they'd not managed to watch them, but that could change. And all of a sudden, players were more organised, I think, and tend more responsibility as things happened on the pitch. And I was very fortunate in most of the teams I played with, you had the leaders of men anyway on the pitch who you knew had played along with Mick McCarthy's, Danny McGrain's, Roy Aitken's, all guys who were behind you who used to just tell you right shoulder, left shoulder, you're picking him up or you pick him up at set plays. I think it's slightly different now. Players want to be guided all the time, which probably the detriment to them as well as the coaches because I think if a player sees something on the pitch and tries it in the respect of that or changes it because he thinks it was the right thing, I think you should be given that freedom to do that. And mm. that's why I was never a great believer of looking off to the manager. And I never really had managers like that. If you had them shouting your name, you knew predominantly it was because you were, you were doing something wrong. Yeah, you know, yeah. so you didn't really want to catch his eye, but you just acknowledged the fact that he was, you, you, you could hear him. Yeah. That was as much as you'd done. You know, I think it's, it's slightly different now. So, And, and you I'm, listen to every word, Raymond. Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, Dan, like, it's, it's somewhat, it's obviously different atmospheres and different times in that from... Football's obviously involved, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, but I think, especially playing at the sort of level I'm playing at, it's obviously not always full stadium, so you can hear everything a lot clearer, whether it's well done, whether it's the opposite of well done. <laughs> um, but I think even at part-time in that, like you get the Tuesday and Thursday, and sometimes it can be difficult to maybe the manager to get everything he wants to get across. So we've got to understand that as players because maybe it's a different mentality for players than it is for coaches, whereas players are wanting to come, we only get our two days a week, we want to make sure like we're getting a blow, playing week games or whatever, whereas managers are like trying to find that balance. Um, and I don't think every player understands where the managers come from, and I don't think the managers understand where players come from at times, so it's about finding that balance and it's very difficult. But I think when you hear something... I think you've always got to be respectful as a player, like whether you disagree or agree, especially in front of, you know, supporters and whatever. Because as you said, at that level, they can hear predominantly what the manager's shouting and they can see if you're ignoring them or taking it on board. I don't think you can ever be disrespectful to a manager or a coach that's trying to do their job ultimately to the best of their ability. You might disagree with it, but I think you maybe wait till you're behind closed doors and say, by the way, Gaffer, like, I disagreed with you there or we were shouting at that particular moment. I was I seen this, that's why I done that. But I think that's always better to do away from whether it's three people in the stand because those three people go, Oh, such and such hasn't got the respect of his players and if I was a manager or if it was my dad that was managing, you know, I wouldn't like someone yeah. to do that. So I think you've always got to have that perception as well. And, you know, at the end of the day the manager, whether you like him, don't like him ultimately he's putting hard work into his job and I think you've got to respect that. And does the same go for your big brother? Yeah, well, he's constantly... I always I knew that was his, his sort of uh, game as his organisation. I, I, I actually said when I was signed for Clyde and that and someone there, I thought, he's going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that down the line and that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? But 
even growing up and all that, like I, there was sometimes even where dad would say like he wanted noticing the games and that, and it wasn't even out of me being disrespectful of that sometimes because if I've got the manager shouting on, I'm focusing at the game. I'm not going to go like that and turn it, but. Obviously, Dad would clock on it, seeing it in the stand and whatever the experience, whatever, and just saying, "Listen, just give him that one to let him know mm. whether you are listening or not, yeah. or whether you even agree with him or not. Yeah. Just give him that one, so he knows, or the thumb up or whatever like that, yeah. so he knows, right? You've got it. You're, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I do agree with that, like, because I have seen it with players and that before. Remy mentioned there, and Dad said there that you can't be disrespectful in that because if the man just try to put a point across, whether it's good, bad, and different, mm. whatever the player thinks in that, listen, the man just try to do his job. You know whether it's the right thing or not. You know what I mean. You try to put a point across to try and help the team, and you can, you know, disregard them like that. Whether it's in the training or not. You know what I mean. Except in terms of understand it. Listen, if if you think that's wrong or not, it's just about the more of the manner point of view. Really, you know, accept it and that kind of stuff. So, and that even from a player's point of view, if there's goals or that, I can see especially obviously being a defender. You know, just an example, and whether it's left back, midfield, no tracking around and all that. And I've played with players that have done it to me, flinging their hands up, you know what I mean? And we still, we, we talk about it quite a lot, like, because we see it on the telly, like, oh, about him flinging his hands up at his teammate to let everybody know in the stadium what's his fault, mm. you know what I mean? And it is a bit, that's a disrespect, yeah, you know what I mean? And I've, listen, I've, team, yeah. I've played with players in that before and that, and I just think, it, it's a, it, it looks like it's out in that particular player mm. or whatever, you know what I mean? And even the managers, you've seen some managers, if the player gives the ball away, if it says Raymond's a midfielder, you know what I mean? He gives the square pass away, for instance, or whatever, and the manager will turn around and go, you know, you seem to see, like, I think that even the boy Tucho at Chelsea is quite bad for it mm. at times, you know what I mean? He'll do that to his player. I just think, you know what I mean? It's a bit of an outing for the player. Listen, you know, everybody knows that he's given yeah. the ball away. That's fine. We don't need to add to that. So that I think that that goes along with the same thing as well. Yeah. Listen, you know, everybody knows he's made a mistake. We don't need to let everybody know. You know, the boy knows that the guy knows already. Mm. That, listen, okay, that's fine in that. But if you see them pointing in the faces, if they look, everybody, you know. I think that goes along with the same thing about getting instructions and in that as well, you know what I mean? I don't think there's any need to kind of fling the hands and up about because at the end of the year, a team in that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's what that's another big thing I think you see with players especially. You know, it's like a it doesn't it doesn't need to be a blame game, you know what I mean? Mm. So And have you ever been passed a note? Because I always hope that a note has something else on it, like an order for the chippy on the way home. Or something like I know. That. I'd, be, I'd probably be more inclined to take that note than the one of the, the, the substitutions that change of shape. To be fair, you know, but I can't mind if I've ever been in, passed in the socks that, like that. Fair, I know. I think maybe I probably have maybe down the you know down before and that kind of stuff and that. But like my dad said, and that it's pretty clear for especially because the level we're playing at and that you know I mean it's. Sometimes you think, oh, is the manager just doing that to try and show like he's doing a tactical thing or whatever like that, you know what I mean? Got, to me, it's always got an air of being at school and my mate fancies uh, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But no, I, I think it's just one of them ones now. Like, if, if, if whoever's the closest one, it was the wing of the left back, it'll just be, listen, tell Peter or Remy or Dan yeah. and that, we're going to change to a three or going to change to a four or just tell the striker to drop in or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's it, it can be quickly done in that. You know what I mean? I think it might be different if, you know, you see it a lot more at the higher level, don't they? You know where they do it, and then uh, I can know, understand that so. one a little bit, as Pete's saying there. Mm. But uh, if you're like a Chelsea, and you've got probably people speaking different languages, yeah. Yeah. and you're handing on to somebody who can speak a good language, you know, or can mix with the boys and tell the players where to go, yeah. because shouting on from the side is not going to make that impact. You know, especially if it's a Scotsman shouting on to a Spanish boy and we think, what the hell is he saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've been there with, obviously, the boys. We, I worked with Carlos Tevez. was brilliant, brilliant. You know, p- p- very minimum English he had at the particular time, you know. 
where Mascarano was brilliant. He was, he was brilliant at English. So you had to understand that these guys have to be told slightly different. If there was a change of shape or whatever, you know, a particular player you would pick to do that with, give that to such and such because you knew he could explain and organise around. So there's certain aspects that you can understand, you know. I, I don't think um, there's a getting away from that because trying to get that change of shape to someone who doesn't speak the language is slightly different. But I think you've got to be careful, you know. It's like all these television programmes we're seeing now. You know, the following week you'll see everybody up and down the country doing the exact same as the guys done on Netflix and you think, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? You know what I mean? Even the way they dress. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. you have to be very, very careful at that, you know. Football's evolved in some aspects of it, not all for the better. Mm. A line of communication I really like is fans telling you what to do, but most of, <laughs> but most of all, man on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> None of your teammates have said man on. <laughs> man on, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that never changes. Especially, the, especially the shouts, obviously, like, made me see, like, because if we're playing in front of no more than 500 and all yeah. that, like, it is brilliant because sometimes you even have a laugh to yourself during the game and that. I mean, some of the shouts that you hear, not even to do with man on, like you said, I mean, even being, he's rub, rubbish. Rub, rub, rub. You know what I mean? Like, it does make you laugh during the game. Sometimes you hear it and you have to turn away because you like, I can't have the manager looking at me saying, you know what I mean? It's, it's brilliant when you hear some of the shouts. But as long like, as it's not you. As long as, ah, exactly, as long as it's not you, you think. But it's some of the shouts, especially at the, the stadiums we play, are brilliant, you know. When, obviously when we were younger than that, did you ever feel like the pressure in that, that we had, or was there any type of pressure that looking up to obviously seeing my dad and obviously even when mum and that was obviously the one that was obviously driving us to train in the games and that, but did you ever feel that when you got to the certain stage, or never mind the Sunday league and that, but obviously when we got to the stage when we were in the academies and whatever and moving about with the football and that? No, I, was, I always felt quite relaxed in that sense in terms of... I didn't feel any outside pressure other than probably the pressure I was putting on myself. Like, I think no matter if it's football or not, no matter what you want to do, people can sit there and go, I don't care, I'm not really bothered. Probably a bit like how I used to be at school, like in terms of like, oh, I don't care what grade I get. But you did, you still wanted to get a good grade, like, you know what I mean? Like, let's not kid ourselves, you'd rather have had a better grade than not. But in terms of the football, I was quite lucky, obviously. Now it's changed massively, but... When I was obviously coming up, and it was like probably that age of like 14, 15, where it maybe goes from maybe like more of a social thing, playing football to, all right, well, maybe I'm now at the stage now where I'm thinking about when I leave school, is this going to be something for me, or am I going to do sixth form, or am I going to do college? If you remember back when we were at Norwich, Peter was regional, so there wasn't really many boys like there is now, or like there was when I went full time. We weren't. The furthest we were going to sign boys was Cambridge because of like the, it was like the radius uh, protocol. And then I, I think that probably helped me without putting myself on a downer. Like if we were able to sign the way it is now, boys from Ireland, boys from abroad, boys from even London, there'd been a lot bigger pool that Norwich could have chose from. And I might have not got that scholarship, you don't know. So I never really had that thing, oh, do you know what, I've got to get a scholarship or I've got to make it. Because ultimately I never thought deep down that I was really ever going to play. Like I thought, just see how it goes. I was never really putting that pressure on myself because 
we're always told how difficult it was and you see I've played with players that were ages of 14 and 15 that I thought wow like what a career he's going to have and then by the time they're 18, 19 they're not even playing part time and you're thinking if you know if that's the case where that's going to be me I'm going to make sure that the next three, four years I'm going to enjoy it. But in terms of pressure on that, no, I never felt it. I was obviously very grateful that Peter, when you obviously went to Peterborough and moved out, Dad, you were obviously away. So it was just predominantly me and my mum. And she'd take me to school, back home, back out to training that night. And then the next day, if I was off school that day for the day release, when I was in the full day at Norwich, she'd take me. Then she'd go to work. Then she'd either come leave work early, come and get me, or I'd make my way into the town centre to meet her. And it's one of them ones, you just think, I just want to really do well because of the sacrifice my mum's made as well. Like, obviously I want to do it for myself, like I'm putting in sacrifice myself, but if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be able to get to training. If it wasn't, like, I wouldn't have the opportunities that I had. So I was never made to feel that way, but obviously subconsciously you think, they're giving up a lot here. Like, Maybe if it was even events my mum had on after work, like a work's night out, a Christmas night, and she's like, oh, can't really go, so I've got to take Raymond. You know, he's got he's playing in London tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's things that you appreciate like that because there was no guarantee that it was ever going to be worth it. But my mum never thought it like that. She just goes, do you know what? That's what he wants to do. Like, he's happy doing it. Like, I want him to be happy doing it. I'm going to take him. And I was so, so lucky because, one, not everyone's parents can do that because they need a work to put food on the table stuff like that was fortunate in that sense where if I needed to be somewhere I could get there and I think that's obviously maybe different now with academies putting kids into digs early on and they're maybe doing the schooling all together so they're getting picked up in a minibus or whatever whereas that wasn't the case when I was coming through but in terms of feeling the pressure ever go and do well go and make it no not at all I just always felt as long as I was enjoying it my mum and dad and I'm sure you felt the same. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think like the difference that we felt then as well, like the times that Dad obviously used to get to the games, and my mum, even with the shares now, she won't come at the games in that now, or even the games when Dad was coaching and managing and stuff like that, because one nervous wreck, because she just wanted the games and had to go well for us. You know what I mean? You know, even the times where we used to go and watch Dad at Norwich, West Ham, and you name it, the, the other clubs and that. Like we were sitting next the night, and we'd be like, like she'd be like, oh. Like that, when, if it was a chance for dad or whatever like that, the team or whatever like that, like I mean, like be like, oh come on, like you know what I mean. So she would actually generally, but I think it got to a point where she was, and then now because of the kickoff times and that five o'clock the games at dad that as soon as it hits five o'clock dad would get a phone and whatever and it would just be wouldn't even ask the score, you know what I mean? It would just be did we get through it all right? And that's just the way it is now. As long as that we've got through it, dad's got through it with the games and that, and that's it. She'd been able, she doesn't bother about the results in that sense, and obviously, but you know what I mean, you understand what I mean. Um, but going back to obviously when we were in the academy days and all that, like Dad used to come to the game. Probably Dad, Dad was standing about five miles away watching the game. No, but generally, like because you would have obviously the usual academy games, the parents and that around the pitch and that, and probably seeing it yourself. We're talking about the pressure. It's when it's at Sunday, even Sunday league level, where the parents would get that involved to 12, 13 year olds and that, and you would think, you know what I mean? Remy would look at it and go, oh, God, my dad would never be like that. But that's the experience, obviously, because my dad's been, my dad's in it. And mum's obviously seen that they would never get involved or never kind of be that shouting parent to like a 10 year old Remy and Pete and that, you know? So, and they would deliberately take yourself away from it because one, obviously, especially the academy games when we were at Norwich at the time and dad was still there at Norwich, it'd be like, 
well, they, they, the parents would probably try and put on a certain persona, but that's why he would stand away. You know what I mean? For so long, when, you know what I mean? They'd keep away from it because one, it would anger him, not just based on nothing to do with us, but he would hate it because he, he, you know what I mean? It would hate him even seeing a parent screaming on it that the young boy is playing in that, you know, in the ear and that, you know, and th- flinging them hands at the, like, their young kid and that, you know, putting the pressure on him and that because they're so desperate for him to progress to the academy and it was so, so, that's that extra pressure if you want to talk about that and yeah, we wanted to do well like Remy said and that but mum and dad never put us under a pressure to even be a player because my dad done it, you know what I mean? It was never, it was just like, as long as we're happy, you know what I mean? And if, if that's what we want to do, if we wanted to be a PE teacher, if we wanted to go and be a joiner, all right, but as long as you're happy and put the graft in, if they they were just more interested in us grafting and you know putting the work in and that, and then whatever happens happens. But if it wasn't going to be football and that wasn't meant to be, right, that's fine. You know what I mean? So it was just, but we generally just. I think, mom, to do I think it. mum would have been happier to be fair. Uh, I think now I probably <laughs> would have been, been happier. I mean, because, but I think it was just more the fact that, like Remy said, we just want we created that pressure ourselves because. Obviously, Dad being away and sacrificing coming up and down motorways and that for how many years gone past when we were at school, especially Norwich, you know, when we settled there. It was more just us thinking upon ourselves that they've gave everything to give us the platform to go and try and play, get to training, get that, da, da, da. It's up to us and that to, we want to make them happy. We're just going and try and get into the highest level we can, you know what I mean? So it was more of creating a pressure ourselves and that really, you know, to say, listen, we want to try and graft as much as we can here and give absolutely everything. And if, whatever, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If it's not, at least we can turn away and say, you know what, give everything, you know. So, um, but it was never a pressure. But you've seen with other parents, it was like, you know, the, the, the demand and like, you know, when you do feel consumed by it. Because I have seen it with my own uh, pals and that down the year and all that. Try to live the dreams through the sun. Absolutely. You know, daughters now, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So. And how about from your point of view, when they went into this industry, if we can call it that, how did you feel about that? It was just one of these things, Dan, that. As kids, they enjoyed playing football. And for me, it was... I always say about football, people say you can make as much money in the world as you possibly can playing football, but you can never replace the dressing room. You can never replace the training ground because that was your pals. That was fun time, you know, when you, you were out with your pals from an early age. And that's the way I looked upon it with the boys, you know. They were young. I was sometimes working at home or I was working away. Fifteen years have been... The house has been there, but I've been living here, there and everywhere with different jobs and whatever, which the, the, the game does. And as they say, Lorraine was taking them everywhere. And as you know, down in England, if you're Norwich or wherever, everywhere you can be playing Swansea away, you know, for instance, and they'd go away at 6.30 in the morning and then they'd be back at 8 or 9 o'clock at night on a Sunday evening, you know, and that was Lorraine that was taking them at that particular time. And I always got to that stage that, I've ever seen them not enjoying something, no matter what it was, but they seem to love it. I don't know, because it's quite difficult. The boys would probably have to answer that, maybe because their father was involved in football. Is that why they, they chose that particular career? Or because they were going to the games, and they, you talked about the atmospheres and that earlier on, that they consumed with that, the less is brilliant, you know what I mean, sort of thing. It brings negatives as well, you know, for them, I'm sure, in the respect of that, because everywhere they turned up, it was Peter Grant's son, whatever, you know, it didn't matter. That that we couldn't hide away from that, you know, sort of thing. That that's fact. Probably maybe the blessing is most of their, their life was lived in England as youngsters. You know what I mean. So it wasn't as bad as it would have been probably up here in Scotland. You know, um, which we found obviously 
when we've came up here because of what they are. You know, obviously Raymond played against Celtic. You know, Peter's played in cup finals and played against Rangers. So coming on the pitch with Grant on the back and knowing they're my sons gives them a little bit of criticism they can get as well. But when they're young, I was I was probably fortunate when I went to see them as. Peter says, and Raymond says, I used to stand well away, you know, under the trees and nobody would even know I was there and I'd be watching the game and whatever. And and I'm not, I'm like everybody, other parent, they'd be saying, what do you think I'd done? i said, well, what about this or what about that, you know? And it was never the, if you're going to do something, you have to sacrifice. You know, people say, what are you proud of the boys? I said, well, their manners and their respect to show others. That's what I'm more proud of than anything. No been football players, no been anything, because everything they've tried to do, they've gave it their fault. That's all I always say to him. And Peter's right there when he says, as long as they give it 100%, if you want to be an artist, you want to be a footballer, you want to be, you give it 100%. You be committed to the people you're working or helping with, but always be respectful. So they were the things that always was put in our life. Football, 100% Lorraine would have preferred not to be involved because she knows, people say it's the greatest job in the world, but as the great Tommy Burns said, but whether you enjoy it during that, it's not so easy to enjoy it when you're wrapped up in it, you know, because there's a lot of downsides in the later years, obviously Peter's had a lot of horrendous injuries, you know, in the respect of unfortunately, you know, Raymond's had a few bad injuries, and unfortunately that's part of the game, and I think more for their mum, that suffers for me. I know it's part of the game and it hurt for them and you feel for them, you know. You don't realise it it's your own son because remember, it's you're a manager or you're a teammate. It's a teammate or your player. So you feel for them, but you've got 25 of them to look after, you know, but when it's your son and you see the pain and the rehabilitations and that to get through. And I can understand, Lorraine, and they're right, the phone's at five o'clock and it's not. Did they get through the 90 minutes? Okay. That That is all she's interested in, nothing else. Um, so, as I said, would she have preferred them to done something else? Yeah, she would have probably preferred them to do something else, but not in the manner to take away that we would tell them, listen, this is a hard road. We showed them that and said, this is what you've got to be willing to sacrifice, and you maybe do everything at 100% right, but it may be no be enough, you know? But as long as you've done it 100% and you have no regrets about it, that's the only time you'll feel peace, you know, because if you thought... Well, I should have done this or I should have done that. If there's any day I should have, I should have that's you. You're to blame then, you know. And I can honestly say that about them. They've been very professional, even as youngsters, you know, they were very, very professional in everything they've done, you know, in the respect to that. And that's why it's important as a parent, you've got to be careful because you don't realise how much your kid's watching. So I used to run, obviously. I used to eat well, you know. I used to do my training properly. You know, I used to go to my bed early. I never ever said that to the boys, ever. Their mum never ever said it to them. But all of a sudden, you see they be traits coming in, oh, they don't like that, or I'm not having this. They'll have their specific Saturday night to enjoy, maybe their can of juice or whatever, you know, and not have it during the week. But we never ever said that to them. But it's how important it is that you, if you're trying to say something to your kid, you can't do the opposite. Because they're watching kids, that's what kids watch, you don't realise. And we were probably fortunate. We went to England at the time. Raymond was nine nine months, I think. Peter was about two and a half at that particular time. They were with us 24-7 because we had uh, no family in England. And you couldn't have picked anywhere because I went to Norwich as a player, obviously. So you couldn't, and it was very, very difficult to get there. 
So we had no family, so the family came down every so often. But the boys were with us constantly, whether we went out to eat, whether we went, whatever we went, the boys were with us. So they watched everything you'd done. Their aim wasn't a, a believer in babysitters. So Saturday night, we'd be in with them. And obviously, when you play down in England, as you know yourself, the distance, I wouldn't make it back for an away game to midnight and a Saturday night, so there was no way you were going out anyway. But the sacrifices you had to make for them wasn't to be football players, was to make sure that they brought up the right manners that you could mix in any company and I know could go anywhere with them. And they'd be, they were fine young men. And that was more important to us. But we never ever said to them we wanted them to be footballers or whatever. It was, I would never turn them away from it. But it's not all the sparkle lights that everybody says in the dream, you know, somebody scoring in the Champions League winner and whatever. There's a hell of a lot of heartache is in amongst that. Even when you're being successful, there's a hell of a lot a heartache is in amongst it. So it was something we were very much aware of. Would I prefer they had a career alongside their football? Yes, I would have, because I always said that to them, that was so important. You know, and as a young man, that's very difficult. When I was younger and being a player, if we'd have been doing a computer course, for instance, because computers were just coming out at the end of my career, the manager would say, oh, you're no interested in football anymore. <laughs> you know, whereas nowadays, I think it's so, so important, because no matter if you continue being a footballer for all your days, and then you want to get into coaching, there's a period you're not going to be working and you have to be able to go to work because you have to be able to have that clearness in your head that you've got something to do all the time because it's very, very difficult. Um, there's a lot of time, a lot of hours spent after training and I always said to them, use them wisely. And that's the only thing we could say. Football-wise, we never ever pushed them that way. They would, I would probably feel more of the pressure for them because I knew they were turning up. I could hear people talking you know, that's Peter Grant's son or whatever. But I just, they, to be fair to them, they never got wrapped up. They just went out and played, they enjoyed that. And that was a great thing for me. They've made careers for themselves and what they've done. They've both played professional football, which is fantastic. They've both had highs and lows, which is football in general anyway, you know. So oh, I'm very proud of what they've done, you know, the, the, what they've achieved, you know. And God continue that that's going to be the future for them as well. But also I'd be just as delighted for them if they had another job and they were doing exceptionally well at that because I think that's part of life and as young men I'm very, very proud of them.